Um, thank you for all you guys who subscribe as well. You guys have been so patient. All my patrons, all my subscribers, you guys have been patient with me as we have been transitioning over to, to Tampa. And I'm just, you know, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the words of encouragement you guys have shared. Uh, you know, your patience with me as we're getting things together. And I'm excited to get back into a, a rhythm of sorts. And we're going to get into the word. And that's really what we're here to do. If you are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. And essentially what we do is we just read through scripture. That's that's my intent is just to read through scripture with you guys. And then to just reflect on whatever the scripture is speaking into my heart today. Um, but I can say this, that this is more of an exercise of you journeying in the scripture where you prayerfully ask, you prayerfully uh Consider what the Lord is speaking to you by his spirit as you spend time in the reading of your word, of of the word, not your word, but of the word. Uh, reading the word of God is a spiritual endeavor. It's not just an intellectual activity, but it is a spiritual endeavor. And when you read the word, you must be prayerful. Um, it's one thing to engage in the intellectual activity of the word, which is all great. But it's also important for us to ask for the Lord to speak to us in our time when we read the word. Um, to give us revelation and to transform us, not to just inform us, but to transform us. That's really what we desire um, as we read his word, that we would be molded by him, sanctified by the word, sanctified, sanctified by the word. That's what we endeavor to do as we spend time in the reading of the word today. And so as you read the word, and we're going to read from a meditational perspective, it's good to see all the subscribers. I see all y'all with the opus tags on you guys. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you for your support. Thank you for all that you do. You guys are the ones that make all of this possible. And I'm just encouraged that you guys continue to support even as we're all discombobulated with our schedule. But I just love the fact that you guys are here. You guys are not only supporting financially by just subscribing, um, be it on Patreon or on TikTok Live, but you're also encouraging me with your prayers and with your words of encouragement. Um, you guys have been a blessing to me. I want to say that before I even get started. You guys have been an incredible, incredible blessing to me. And so uh, with that being said, I just pray that I can be a blessing to you as you guys have been a blessing to me in the capacity that you guys have been a blessing to me. So with that being said, we're going to read and we're going to be reading from Jeremiah 32. And we're going to ask three questions. The three questions that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question that we want to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question that I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? Um, and that's what we want to pray into as we spend time in the reading of the word. Let's read. We'll briefly maybe read through one or two chapters today, um, but we don't, I don't want to belabor the time. Let's get right to it. Father, I ask today, Lord, that you would um, speak to us, Lord God, as we read your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that your voice would emanate out of your word. Lord, your word is truth. And so, Father, we pray that the truth would be revealed to us in your personhood. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would encounter you in a powerful way today, Lord. I pray that we would each individually be transformed um, by your word today. Lord, encouraged by your word, convicted by your word, 
um, and convinced of your goodness and your mercy towards us. And I ask that in your name. We pray. Amen. Let's get to it. Uh, Jeremiah 32. And this is uh, what it says in Jeremiah 32. I will read it and I'd ask that you guys could read along with me and continue to prayerfully think through those three questions. It says this, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. From then, the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem and Jeremiah, the prophet, was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you saying, buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of the redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase of the deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Mahasiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is opened, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Hmm. Now when he had... When I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosoms of their children. After them, the greater sorry, after them, the great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are opened to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. 
You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel and among other men. And you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it. And they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds. They have come to the city to take it. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence that you have spoken. Sorry, what you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Hmm. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it with the houses of those roofs. They have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth, for the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. And they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Moloch, which I did not commend them, nor did I, nor did it come to my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine and the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land 
with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. And the fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolate without man or beast. It has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. One more chapter. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of the city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. They have come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury, for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. And I will rebuild those places as at the first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them, and they shall fear and tremble for all goodness and all prosperity that I provided it. Thus says the Lord, again, there shall be in this place of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast in the cities of Judah, in the cities of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for his mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the Lord to return as at the first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts in this place, which is desolate without man Sorry, without man and without beast, and in all the, its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds, causing their flocks to lie down in cities and in mountains, in cities of the lowland, in cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah. The flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'll perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. 
For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. There's so much here. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant in the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measures, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not considered that these people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord has chosen, he also cast them off? Thus they have despised my people. And if I should no more be a nation before them, thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with day and night, and I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that I will not take any descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. The word of God. <clears throat> so good to be back. So good to be back. So good to come and connect with you guys. I know it's my first day back and we're getting back into the rhythm of things. But it is great to be back. Um, I'm encouraged by all the words of encouragement that you guys have sent me, all the prayers as we begin to make this transition. And even as we make this transition, it is fitting for us to read this today. It's always timely. God is always timely in his word. And I'm always encouraged by that. Just the timeliness of God in his word. Um, I can't emphasize enough how the Lord speaks in a whole fresh new way every time. Every time we get in his word, he speaks in a fresh new way, even in the word that we have read before. Um, you may have read this over and over again. And as often as you read it, there's always something fresh, always something new uh, in your time in the reading of the word, which is why I always encourage you guys as you spend time reading and as you read along with me that you are asking the question, God, what are you revealing? Like, what are you speaking into to allow the Holy Spirit to inspire you by the word that has been inspired and breathed by the spirit of God? I'm reading today and, you know, and you guys know this is the drill. I read and I go, man, just in these two chapters that we've read, there's so much to unpack, right? There's so much to, to take apart in our time as I'm reading through these two. And I, I don't, I'm not afforded that kind of time to really take all this apart for you. However, a few things you'll notice though, as we read through Jeremiah, Jeremiah, unlike Isaiah, who, if, if there are those of you who have been reading with us, you guys know that we have been journeying through the scriptures from Genesis, and now we're all the way into Jeremiah. If you're an OG in the game, you know we've been doing this since since Matthew, reading through the entire New Testament, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. And I figured, you know what? Let me engage in this activity to just read through the Bible, just read through the whole Bible together with you guys, because for many of you, many of you haven't done that, 
And it could be because you're intimidated by it, because you don't fully understand it, or because you're just waiting for somebody to teach you every element of it. And I hope that this has opened doors for you where you're seeing that if I can just look at the Bible from this large, grand narrative, this grand perspective of what God is doing, man, it it, it transforms how you even read different parts of the scripture. It transforms how you decipher through different elements of the scripture. And so it's read and go off. Some days I do go off. I don't know what I'm going to do today. And I've never really prepared. I don't have anything prepared. I'm just here to just spend time to read the word with you guys and just to share a few thoughts with you. Um, but this is timely, as I mentioned before. It's timely. Um, and I'm explaining to you why. Because we see here Jeremiah is actually buying property. We open our time of reading where Jeremiah is buying property. I want to make one preface here before I even get into this. The one thing I want to preface by saying is, is Jeremiah is a little bit different um, from the other prophets. Jeremiah is, um, first of all, Jeremiah is the most prolific of the prophets. Uh, We see more writing from Jeremiah than than any of the prophets. Jeremiah, the priest who has been, who has taken upon the task to have a prophetic voice, Jeremiah speaks. And what Jeremiah exposes to us, if anybody has noticed this, Unlike the other prophets, because Jeremiah is very much different than the other prophets, is what Jeremiah exposes to us is Jeremiah exposes the um, the heart of the prophet. He gives you a certain angle, a certain degree, a certain uh, direction. He gives you a certain um, perspective on... Um, uh, close the door. Close the door, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to put that in the podcast. See, now now that I'm home, I got my kids here with me, too. So there you go. Um, I'll put all that in there. So I'm not even going to edit that out. It's it's with us. But what Jeremiah provides to us is Jeremiah gives us a perspective of the prophet, more specifically, um, the perspective of the heart of the prophet, the uh, the personality of the prophet, the things that the prophet deals with on a personal level. We see a little bit of that in Isaiah. We see a little bit of, of that in, in Ezekiel. We'll see um, a little bit of that uh, in Daniel, but we see it in in all its, uh, we, we see it fully exposed here in, in this particular portion of scriptures. That's one thing we can see. The second thing that we can see in Jeremiah, and what Jeremiah does is different than, than the others, is that Jeremiah, uh, he provides a soteriological foundation and what do I mean by that? I'm sorry. I'm not going, I'm going Bible study mode. So I'm going to avoid going full Bible study here. Um, I'll leave Bible study for my patrons on Patreon, but he goes into a, a, a soteriology, um, the establishing of a new covenant. The, the, the book of Jeremiah is very much, uh, soteriological. It's theological. It, it's, 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 I would say the heaviest theological of the books. Jeremiah is the prophetic glue. It's no surprise that Jesus would quote Jeremiah because of what Jeremiah is pointing to, which is the actual work that Christ does in saving humanity and bringing us all into good standing with him. And as we read in chapter 30, uh, 33, when he speaks and he calls Jerusalem and he calls Judah in verse 16, 33 verse 16 says, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, that the name of the city, the name of the people 
is the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Uh, the word is Jehovah, Jehovah Tzidkenu. The word, the, the Lord, our righteousness, that he is our righteousness. Not we are our righteousness. It's not our performance. It's not how well we do things. It's not how well you follow the Bible. It's not how well you live out um, um, your faith. It's not the Lord is our righteousness. How many times have we been taught you need to do this and do do that, that your righteousness is based off of your performance? How many people have been taught you got to live right and do right and out of living right and doing right, then you'll find yourself to be righteous before God. But any righteousness that comes out of your performance, any righteousness that comes out of what you do, how you live, how you act, how often you read your Bible, how many times you go to Bible study, how many times you go to church or how many times you didn't do bad things or how many times you didn't sin, how many times you obeyed the Ten Commandments or how many times you did all that. All that is filthy rags to God. That righteousness is not good enough. The righteousness that is good enough is the one in which we hand it off to Christ who is our righteousness. Now, it's not based off of our performance. It's based off of the posture of our heart. And so many of us get this wrong because we're too busy trying to perform for God. We're too busy trying to do it for God. We're too busy trying to win it for God. We're too busy trying to live it out for God in a way to ex- to receive God's acceptance, to receive God's approval, to say, okay, God, I'm actually living the way you want me to live. I'm doing the best that I can. You know what's crazy to me? What's crazy to me is sometimes when I ask people, hey, how do you know that you're going to heaven? And the answer that I get from a lot of people is, well, because I'm being the best person that I can be, because I'm doing the best that I can, because I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do as much good as I can and as little bad as I can. I'm trying to, you know, to, to follow the Bible as much as I can or just try to be a good person. There, there it is. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm trying to be the best person that I can. I believe if I could just be the best person I can do as much good as I can, then that's good enough. And yet, He says in his word, your righteousness is filthy rags to him. Actually, being the best person that you can be is not good enough because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we can just be honest with ourselves, we can try to be the best we can be. And yet we all know it ain't good enough. Deep down inside, we know we're not perfect. Deep down inside, we know, man, we fall profoundly short of the perfection and the glory of God. And yet, even though we all fall short of it, even in the good things, we all fall short of it. And even when we experience this righteousness that is filthy rags to God, there's another righteousness that's so much better. And it's the one in Christ. Christ is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. And Jeremiah now is pointing us to this new reality. He's pointing us to this new reality that this covenant that we attempted to obey, this covenant that we attempted to follow, this covenant. And when I say we, let's just back back up for a minute. The children of Israel, this covenant that they've been given, you know what's crazy? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, this might be read and go off for real. What's crazy to me is how we expect people 
to live according to the scriptures when all the people in the scriptures couldn't live according to the law. We, we expect people today to live and to be a people who live according to a law that they couldn't live according to. Peter actually calls it in um, Acts chapter 15, he called it the yoke that they even couldn't bear. The children of Israel couldn't be those people, but no, we still expect people today to be the people that the people in the Bible couldn't even be. I find that interesting because all too often we're putting a standard on people that even the people in the scriptures couldn't meet up to. This covenant, this law, there wasn't anything wrong. I want to make sure you understand this. There wasn't anything wrong with the covenant. There wasn't anything wrong with the contract that God was making with the children of Israel. There was a problem with Israel. And what the contract exposed was the problem that there was with Israel. The Israelites made a, they agreed to this contract with God. But they couldn't live up to the terms of that agreement. Israel couldn't live up to the standard that they agreed to live up to. Israel said we would be this people, but in the end, Israel could not believe it, could, could, could not be it. And what Jeremiah is exposing is that it's not that there was anything wrong with the covenant. There was something wrong with the people. The covenant was fine, but the people still had their own motives, that the people still had their own desires. And it's their own motives. They're being human. I'm only human. There's another one. It's their being human now that, ex- that the law exposes how their humanity falls short of the divinity and the glory of God. And so it's their evil desires, their, 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 their own motives, which began all the way from the Garden of Eden that now has brought them to where they are today. And this is what the old covenant exposed. I want to make sure y'all catching me here, fam. This is so important because there are too many of us here. And some, some of us here, we are, we're going through it. There's some folks here right now who you've been told you got to follow everything in this Bible. You got to do everything this Bible says. You got to do it because if you're going to go to heaven, you need to be the best person you can be. And that you're going to heaven is based off of your ability to perform. You're, you're going to heaven is based off of how well you can follow this book. And there's so many of us who we get so, so consumed by how we fall short of this that we don't realize that even the people who are in this book fell short of what was in this book. Only one person didn't fall short of what was in this book. His name was Jesus, but everybody else fell short of what was in this book. And yet the freedom comes in understanding and knowing that it's not your ability to comply to what is in this book. It's what this book exposes to the one who's in this book, who can perfectly do everything that is in this book, who says that it is in him now that you find perfection, not in your performance. 
that is so critically important. And that's what I, that's what Jeremiah is exposing. Is he saying these people, these people fall short? These are the harlots. We've been reading up to this point. These are the harlots who have been given the law. These are the harlots who've been given the task to be obedient unto the law. They've had encounters with God. Their history shows all the things that God has done. And yet here they are, although they have the law and although they've been chosen by God, they find themselves now not in right standing with God. So the question then, and I know I'm, uh, it's only, I'm, only, I'm only here for a few minutes and there's so much I would unpack. But the question is then, is what brings them into a right relationship with God? Is it their performance? Or is it that something in them needs to change? While everybody's telling you, you need to be a better person. What Jeremiah is telling you is you need a new nature. And I'm, I'm, I'm only here just to give you a little formula because this is so important and I don't really have all of it. So I, ha- I, I can't really fully break it down in the time that I have. Maybe we'll say this for another time. Jeremiah is soteriologically powerful because what Jeremiah is exposing is what Jeremiah is exposing. He's saying, the old covenant, there's a new covenant that is to come. And this new covenant is going to be fulfilled by one who can fulfill it. Where we have fallen short, he's going to fulfill it. There is a new covenant. And what this new covenant is going to do is this new covenant is going to give us access to a new nature. You see, what will bring us into right standing with God is not our compliance to the word. What's going to bring us into right standing with God is a change in our heart. How are you going to get right with God? So many of us, and this is just the reality, there's so many of us We're trying to get into right standing with God by trying to be the best people we can be. I'm just going to be good, do more good, and do less bad. But at the core, we know it's not good enough. And so many of us are just trying to be the best people we can be. And what God is saying is what gets you into right standing is not how well you perform. What gets you into right standing with me is a change in your heart. When your heart changes and you have a new nature, that's what brings you into right standing with me. How many of us are still trying to do good? We're trying to do right. We're trying to perform. And what Jeremiah is saying is Israel had everything we have right here. We got the law right here. Israel got it. And we saw that what we've been reading up to this point is Israel's fallen short. And when Jeremiah prophesies, he speaks prophetically to say, I will put my law 
in their minds. And I will write my law on their hearts. He said, I will be their God. This is what we read in um, the previous chapter before this. I'm going in between, but it's important that I, I start here because this is, this is actually the most critical part of the book of Jeremiah. This is where everything shifts. Up to this point, Israel is being prophesied of a coming captivity. Of course, Jeremiah is the messenger and everybody wants to kill the messenger, but killing the messenger doesn't kill the message. Another word for another day. And now we find ourselves shifting here. And Jeremiah is saying, we're not hopeless in our error. God wants to put his law now, not on a book or on tablets of stone or on whatever, on a scroll. That's not where he wants to put his law. He wants to put it on your heart. See, that's the shift. So many of us, you know how many times, you know how many times I get the question, well, you know, what does the Bible say about doing this? What does the Bible say about doing that? Is this the right thing? Is this the wrong thing? I want to know how I'm supposed to live. How do I be the best person I can be? I'm going to follow the Bible. I need to follow everything that's right. Please tell me what's right and what's wrong. Ooh, I'm about to say something that's going to be real dangerous. How about there are sins? that are not even in the Bible that we can still commit. There are things that exist today that didn't exist in the scriptures. There was no internet in the Bible. There were no cell phones in the Bible. And yet there are commandments in the Bible that don't even align with what goes on today. So we're trying to look at antiquated laws that pertain to a people in that time. And then we're looking at all the new things that exist today, not realizing that there's a whole bunch of stuff that exists today that don't exist in the scripture. And yet somehow we think that being holy and righteous is just following what's in the Bible. Interesting, right? What if, what if God isn't trying to get us to follow what's in the Bible? Like the way you think. What if, and this is going to be dangerous, so I know you stick with me for a second. What if, because honestly, if you look at it, the laws that are in this Bible, there are things that exist today that aren't in the scripture. And things that exist in the scripture that don't necessarily apply today. So what if the law that God is trying to write is not what's in this book, but what is on your heart? What if God is trying to put a new law? What if God is trying to write something on your heart? What if God is trying to transform you? Because if God transforms you, then he changes your nature. And in changing your nature, you'll be able to know what is right because now you're not being guided by your desires. You're being guided by the spirit of God. Are y'all catching what I'm saying here? This is so important because... I think so many of us are still looking to follow rules in the Bible. Not looking at it as God is looking to transform our hearts. And what I, and what Jeremiah is exposing is that God wants to change something in you. Not to get you to comply to his law. 
Because if your nature changes, then your desires change. And if your desires change, then the way you live changes. Say that one more time. What if God is not trying to get you to comply to what's in this word in the way that you think, like it's a law unto itself for salvation? What if instead God is showing you that even the people in here couldn't follow this law and that what they needed was more than that? What they needed wasn't an ability and a power to comply to it, but what they needed was a change in their heart. And what if, if you can understand this, your heart changes? If your heart changes, then your desires change. And if your desires change, the way you live changes. What if there are laws that exist today? Things that can be considered sin today that don't even exist in the Bible. So stop looking for what's in the Bible to comply to it. Rather, look for a transformation of your heart. The law is written on your heart, not on tablets of stone. And not to say there aren't any principles, because like I said before, the, this is good. The law is good. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. <laughs> Jesus came to do what they could not do so that now in him they can be righteous. That's why the scripture says that the Lord in verse 16 is our righteousness, not me, not my performance, not my activity, not my ability. The Lord is my righteousness. I'm going to leave you with one last thought because I got so many thoughts on this reading and I can go all day. I can rant all day. I mean, that's just, that's just what I do. Um, <sighs> Jeremiah is pointing us to a new covenant. He's pointing us to a new law. And while we read this, understand that we're not reading this for ourselves. We're reading this to see the story of the Hebrew people. And now that we're here, Jeremiah is pointing to there's one that's going to accomplish what the Hebrews could not accomplish. There is a Hebrew man that's going to accomplish what the Hebrews could not accomplish. There's a Hebrew man who's going to do what the Hebrews could not do. And what's going to take a transformation of heart is to trust in him and to allow him to change it. A relationship with God is the most important thing. And there's so many of us that equate a relationship with God with the ability to follow the Bible with going to church on Sunday, with going to a temple to worship. We create a relationship with God with all these things. It's unfortunate because what Jeremiah is pointing to is that a relationship with God is not going to come from any of that because you're about to fall into captivity, Israel. There won't be a temple to worship. So now how are you going to have a relationship with God, Israel? You're going to go into a pagan land where are you going to, how are you going to cultivate your relationship with God? There won't be a temple to perform sacrifices. So where is your relationship with God going to come from? Y'all understand that, right? I know we talk about the importance of the sacrifices and all that good stuff, but y'all understand that they went decades and decades and decades 
with no temple to perform the sacrifices. You're going to be in a foreign land. So how now are you going to cultivate a relationship with God in a foreign land where there won't be a temple to sacrifice? And what Jeremiah is saying is this is opportunity. I'm going to pull down all the religious pillars, all the religious strongholds, all the things that you thought that made you righteous unto yourself. He's going to pull all those things away. And once he pulls all those things away, herein lies now the opportunity to know what a relationship with God is. And this is something I want to speak into. There are those of us here where that is exactly what we needed. There are so many of us here that needed to be pulled away from church, that needed to be pulled away from, honestly, I don't even call it the church, I call it culture, church culture, evangelicalism, white evangelicalism, um, um, denominationalism, all the isms. You put an ism behind it, there's already a problem with it. And it's all the isms that have been, you've been pulled away from all of that. You've been broken from all of that. And now you find yourself distant from all of it. And it's there that comes the opportunity. It's tough being in exile. Because you don't find belonging. And often when you now find yourself questioning everything you knew in your church or everything you saw or everything you And you realize, man, there's a lot of things that were wrong with this. A lot of things that were missing. This doesn't connect to anything. And you're realizing religion didn't actually set anybody free. Religion actually bound people. Then you begin to realize that religion was what actually, religion was just another agenda being pushed on me. And what they did was, is they took something like the Bible to push it on me. Religion was about the sinful ideas of man used as a means to oppress other people. And then you begin to realize, hold on a second. What was I in? What, 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 what were those years for me? And you've been pulled away from that. Being pulled away from that now presents a new opportunity. Because now that you find yourself in exile, you find yourself in a place of opportunity to connect and to see who God really is. Religion is what, you know, the world says, adhere to laws, adhere to these things, follow these rules, follow these laws. And when you follow these laws, you'll get to go to heaven And Jeremiah is pointing to a new covenant. He's pointing to a new law. He's pointing to one that is going to fulfill that law. He's pointing to, in those days, verse 15 in chapter 33, in those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Not you, he will. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. They get to enjoy the work that he does. 
And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of David, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings. There will be a king to sit on the throne and there will be a priest who will offer the sacrifice continually. I don't have enough time. I know we've talked about this before and I'm just throwing stuff. And I hope you guys are piecing everything we've been talking about over the last few, last year as we've been spending time in this read and rant. As we get here, now we're seeing we know what the purpose of the sacrifice was. And now we see one who will offer the sacrifice before God continually. It won't be you. It won't be your work. It will be the one who here Jeremiah calls the branch of righteousness. Jesus. Jesus. I had something else I wanted to share. I'm going to save it for tomorrow because it's going to align with what we read in 35 uh, and 36 and in the following chapters. But Jeremiah doesn't speak into these things without hope. Even as he sees the consequence of sin, he's not hopeless. He's not hopeless. There is a branch of righteousness. There is one who will fulfill it. And yet, even though Israel be pulled away from its land, Israel will be brought back to its land. Israel will experience redemption in her own land. And and Jeremiah proves that by purchasing a piece of land, even while they're getting pulled out. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Today, be encouraged. It ain't going to be your performance. It's going to be his promise. It is not your performance, it's his promise. What transform, what's going to get you in is not how well you follow this. It's will you submit your heart to Christ? Like, will you submit your heart to God? Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you brought us here. I ask, Lord, even as we spend time in this word and as we read it, Father, let us get, let us get past the intellectual endeavor and the intellectual exercise. Let's simply hear from your spirit, to hear your heart, to hear what you're saying, even in the midst of this, Lord. As we read Jeremiah, you're pointing to so many things that are profound. I pray, Lord God, that you would um, Lord, shepherd us, Lord, guide us to truth, lead us to the paths of righteousness, lead us to the green pastures, Lord, that we uh, will find refuge and safety and comfort in you not in religion, not in our leaders, not in people, but in you. And we ask that in your name we pray.